0: before we jump into the sermon this morning we're going to pause for just a moment and uh, spend some time praying for the pastor search process Um, and i invite you not only in this moment but in the days and weeks ahead for you to to think about praying in that for three three specific areas Um, one for us as the congregation that god continues to prepare us as we wait and look look forward to that Um, second of all for the pastor search committee itself uh, that God will bring us together and and direct us and that we will hear God's voice speak as as we make some important decisions in in the weeks ahead and then finally for the candidates that we're we're talking with uh, that God would be with them as well in that so with those things in mind please bow and, and pray with me Lord we're so thankful that you are with us we are thankful that you are with us as we Look forward to a newly pastor coming here to be with us and shepherd us, Lord. We pray for, for our congregation, for us as a whole, that you'll continue to be with us as we continue to wait and as we continue to look forward. Help ready us um, for uh, all the changes, all the things that we can't even think about, we can't really comprehend at this point. But, but with this thing, change is going to be a reality. So just prepare us. Um, together as we look forward to that i pray for the the search committee lord that you'll continue to to speak to us and guide us um, help us to hear your voice as you lead us in that process and thank you for doing that and lord we pray for the candidates as well as they as they are also in prayer as they are looking to you and listening to you for guidance in, in their own ministries and lives god we thank you for for not leaving us, leaving us on an island to do this ourselves. We thank you that you are with us and you're faithful to us. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen. I want to tell you about one things, one of the things I remember about growing up um, and, and my church going life, uh, I was one of those kids that was drugged out of bed every Sunday morning, kind of not necessarily kicking and screaming, but kind of with that attitude. And my mom dr- drugged me to church on Sundays. That's how it was for me. In between time, especially in the summer months, I cannot remember how many old fashioned revival services that that I went to. Really, usually grudgingly, but. Uh, A lot of old-fashioned revivals. I'm curious, how many of you old-fashioned revivals have attended those kind of things? Yep, yep. I expected to see a lot of hands. Um, I I, want to make sure I point out, you know, God works and worked through those in mighty ways. Uh, There was a part in my life as a teenager um, when God spoke to me through a revival service, it was very profound. But I am going to be honest with you today. Most of those revival services were very confusing for me. Um, I, I can't remember how many times I was led in, in repeating the sinner's prayer at the end of those services. And it, it was confusing. How, how many times do I need to ask Jesus into my heart? And how many times, just, just some, some things went along with that, that was, that was raised questions, um. And as I got older and, and kind of, I mentioned being a teenager and continuing to go to those services, I, I also, I, I kind of developed a bad taste in my mouth, um, unfortunately, for, for some of the ta- tactics that some of the revival preachers used. Um, thankfully, they weren't all like this, but sometimes they, they were manipulative, you know. Um, they, they really played a lot to guilting me in to to wanting to become a christian or really played on other emotions and 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 that wasn't that as we think about this sermon series i'm being drawn to jesus um those those things especially in retrospect as i got older didn't didn't draw me to jesus or to the church and in fact they they kind of pushed me away in some in, in some real significant areas um when we look at our, our scripture passage this morning in just a few minutes, we're going to, it's gonna end with a warning to us. And I'm gonna start right now with a different warning. Um, there's a, a group called the Pew Research Center, and they do a lot of surveys on a lot of different things. And, and there's this graph in front of you that, that you can't read the fine print and that's fine, but hopefully you can see this, this graph that shows a downward line. And what this is, is uh, it's a, based on a survey of Americans and the number of Americans that describe themselves as Christians. And on the far left side of the graph, going back to 1972, 90% of Americans describe themselves as Christians. 90% in, in 1972. The middle of the graph right there, that, that line that goes down to the year 2020, that statistic was 64 percent of Americans a, a huge decline and, and for those of us that have been paying attention we, we have seen that that's not surprising for us but then the rest of that graph those dotted lines to the right those are projections for about the next 50 years and it's saying if current trends continue um, and, and there's a lot of factors that play into this at best another 10 percent of, of Americans will will not be christians or not identify at best 54 percent in the year 2070 but more likely these lower lines say it could drop as low as 35 percent of americans might identify as being a christian by the year 2070 very sobering very sad uh it's it's a warning to us and, and i'll talk we'll talk more about this in a minute but but that's the reality and um Again, we we are not alone um, in this as a church or or anything like that. This is throughout the country. Um, But it's the situation that we are in in this day and time. So in this sermon series about being drawn to Jesus, um, you're going to hear some things this morning or hopefully wrestle with me about, unfortunately, the, the times when sometimes instead of attracting people to Jesus, People are pushed away from Jesus or people are pushed away from the church. And and that's going to be a part of what we think about today. Our scripture passage is from Luke chapter 16. And if you remember last Sunday, if if you were listening last Sunday's sermon, we looked at Luke 15 last week. And that was when Jesus told three parables about a a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And and the take-home point for that was how valuable each and every person in this world is to God how valuable and loved each person is how much God wants to have a relationship with each, with each and every person as we flip the page to Luke 16 Jesus changes his focus a little bit and there's, there's a, a thread that begins in Luke 16 talking about rich and poor and especially how the love for riches the love for money causes a real problem in in our relationship with God. Uh, To sum that up, before we get to our main passage today, Luke 16, verses 13 and 14, they say this. In verse 13, Jesus says, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then pay attention to verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed Jesus. So this sets the stage for what we're about to read. And, and to, to just make sure we understand this, the Pharisees, um, unlike how we tend to look at, at wealth and religion today, the Pharisees pulled them together. And they felt like if they were being godly, if they were living a righteous life, then God blessed them with riches. The more things they had materially, the more godly they were. That's how the Pharisees looked at it. And, And along with that, we know the Pharisees were always about building extra layers into their religion that oftentimes kept people out. They built walls with rules and regulations and, and all these legalistic things that, that weren't intended to draw more people in or allow more people access to God. They were intended to keep people outside of having a relationship with God. So, so we're going to get to, to a warning to them in just a minute. But this is what Luke 16, starting in verse 19, says. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he, the rich man, was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus and like man are evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So a quick recap of of this story here. Really quickly, very briefly, we we learn about these two men. The rich man who had everything but, but a name. He wasn't given a name here. That's somewhat significant. But any material thing you could imagine, he had it. He was taken care of. He was set. And then on the other end of the spectrum, Lazarus. A man who was placed at the rich man's front door. A man who was put there intentionally because he had no one to care for, no one to meet his needs. Lazarus, who apparently had no friends, only the dogs came as his friends to lick his wounds each day. And it's significant, Lazarus is given a name here. This, the name Lazarus means God has helped. So that drives home that the point here that Lazarus is someone that God is with. God is for. God, God is, is, is on the side of Lazarus, if you will, in this story. But that's very quickly just a brief introduction of who they are, and then they both die. And then the story picks up. The rich man goes to Hades, or in our language today, what we refer to as hell. And of course, Lazarus ascends to be with Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. In our terms today, we would call that heaven. And the rich man, two things he, he begins to, to think about first, his torment, how he had lived a life of comfort and ease, and now he's in agony. And for the first time, he, he thinks about Lazarus. He acknowledges Lazarus. Abraham, send Lazarus with a drop of water on his finger to ease my pain. And then second, once he realizes, once the rich, rich man realizes he's stuck, he is, he is in this place. There's no getting out of it, no relief. He suddenly becomes evangelistic and he thinks of the people he cares about. I've got five brothers. please. Please send someone to warn them. Send someone so that they don't have to endure the same agony that I'm in right now. I don't know about you. For me, this, this is a tough story to get my mind around. What, what is Jesus trying to say to us? Um, I, I, I start with why, why is, is one of these people in heaven and one of them in hell? Um, is it the fact that one of them's rich and one of them's not? Um, I, I don't think that's what it is. I think we missed the point there. But I, I, I do think there's some significance in, again, Lazarus and that name God has helped. Lazarus in the story being placed at the gate of someone who could help him. Um, this, this fundamental truth that Lazarus realized he needed help, he needed, he couldn't go through life alone, and that's, that's the beginning, that's the foundation of all of our faith, all of our relationships with Jesus, we have to start, we have to realize, I need, I need God, I need something bigger than myself in my life, and Lazarus was in that spot, there was no way around that, whereas the rich man, um, like many of us Americans unfortunately the rich man could go through from sunup to sundown and he could get by on his own power he had what he needed he didn't have to look to God he could just take care of himself and and live under the illusion that he didn't need help in his life so with that in mind I'm still struggling okay there's there's only a little bit of time spent on that and then we get into the 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 their afterlife and this conversation that Abraham has with this rich man and the rich man finally realizes the situation that he's in um I came across another preacher named Chris Ritter who had this to say and if we remember that Jesus is looking the Pharisees in the eye As he's telling this story, um, I found this to be a helpful commentary on this passage. Chris Ritter says, I hope we see the love of Jesus in this passage. Jesus did not tell this story because he hates Pharisees, he told them this story because he loves them. With whom did Jesus want his listeners to relate? They probably could not relate much with Lazarus, they would not want to relate much to the rich man in hell. I think the Pharisees and us are supposed to find ourselves in the five brothers who still have an opportunity to repent. So if, if that's the case, if the Pharisees were supposed to hear this and, and feel Jesus' love, Jesus saying, I'm warning you. This, this track that you're on, focusing on yourself, focusing on, on loving money, disregarding people in need, if that's the track you're on, you're, you're, you're going to miss it. I'm warning you, please pay heed, please pay attention. And for us today as a people, um, you know, I, I, I struggle with what to say to, to, to close this message up. There's, there's a lot of things to say and I'm not sure exactly what should be said, but I, I think about for us as individuals, individuals, as we strive to follow Jesus, you know, do, do, we, do we identify more with the rich man in the story? Um, I, know, I know I tend to, if I'm being honest. It's easy for me to go through each day on my own power, with my own resources, and forget to, to look to God, to forget to ask God to guide me. It's easy for me, just like the rich man, to when God places someone in need on my front step, figuratively, when God puts somebody in front of me, wherever that might be, however that might look, I'm too busy to help. I've got my own problems. So maybe that's, if you're like me, that's the warning we need to take. Um, maybe you identify more as Lazarus. You're the person who, gosh, I, I am, I'm in I'm in need i know i lack i know i don't have enough but find the the comfort find the truth the promise that god is with you god will comfort you and is with you even now in that moment but i also think about us as a congregation if we think back to that graphic that was up on the screen a few minutes ago and the reality of the church in this country um I was talking to Carol and my wife yesterday and we were remembering uh, with just within the last year um, a couple of people we know that have, have come and visited here, this congregation. And I, I am convicted because neither of them felt a home, found a home here. Um, and it wasn't about theology, it wasn't about anything like that. It's just that, that I and we as a congregation did not help them get connected. Um, instead of drawing them to Jesus and drawing them to the church, they, they didn't find a reason to stay here. And that, that's very sobering to me. and something I need to figure out moving forward, what I can do. As we think about the future of this congregation, and whatever the, the next lead pastor, whoever that is, um, it's, it's, there's no question that there will be change that will happen. And are we willing to embrace those changes, embrace whatever that looks like, whatever that means, because there's a lost and dying world out there that more and more is getting pushed away from Jesus or doesn't feel a reason to be attracted to Jesus. We have, and and this, is, this is where I will stop at. The good news here, just as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you have a chance to turn it around. You have the opportunity to choose how you're going to respond to this. The rich man ran out of chances, but you and I have not. Every day, we're blessed with opportunity to care for other people. We're blessed with the opportunity to look to God and, and think, OK, God, are we going to focus more on, on our comfort like the rich man? Or are we going to focus on the, the people that you've placed in our lives who who you want us to love and care for and share your good news with let's pray together lord as we wrestle with this challenging story we're thankful that you are with us and god we're thankful that you provide warnings that you help point out when we're off track No whether if we identify with the rich man or with the poor man in this story you are with us and you give us the opportunity to live for you and look to you and follow you god i pray for myself and and for us as a congregation that we will be faithful to you that we will care more about people than we care about things and that we will put those convictions and those beliefs into action so that when we see someone that you place in front of us, a stranger or someone that we've known forever, and they are in need of knowing your love, that we will step up and we will share your love with them. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for using us in that way, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.